Would you turn with me in the scriptures to Jeremiah? Prophecies of Jeremiah, chapter 41. And no, I'm not going to read the whole passage that's in the bulletin because we would be here for a while. So I'm just going to read a piece from it. But I would encourage you to have your Bibles open to chapters 41, or 41, 42, 43, and 44, which is the section of the scriptures that we're going to be dealing with. Let's pray as we open God's Word. O oh Lord our God, we thank you for the prophecies of Jeremiah. They're tough. They've given us some pretty tough messages and some pretty strong warnings. And this morning, your people hear another warning. You hear, we're going to hear about what we are prone to do. <clears throat> Forgive us, Lord, for our hard heartedness. And help us to hear your word and to respond to you, the Lord of life. And so move among us, we pray, Holy Spirit, and give us understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> We're going to read at chapter 42 <clears throat> into chapter 43, because this is kind of the crux of the matter and the people's response to the word of the Lord. <clears throat> and I'll put it into context throughout the message. All the army officers, including Jonahan, son of Korea, and Jezaniah, son of Hoshaniah, and all the people from the least to the greatest approached Jeremiah the prophet and said to him, Please hear our petition and pray to the Lord your God for this entire remnant. For as you now see, though we were once many, now only a few are left. Pray that the Lord our God will tell us whatever we should, wherever we should go and what we should do. I have heard you, replied Jeremiah the prophet. I will certainly pray to the Lord your God as you have requested. I will tell you everything the Lord says and will keep nothing back from you. And then they said to Jeremiah, May the Lord be true, be a true and faithful witness against us if we do not act in accordance with everything the Lord your God tells you to tell us. Whether it's favorable or unfavorable, we, we will obey the Lord our God to whom we are sending you so that it will go well with us, for we will obey the Lord our God. Ten days later, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. So he called together Jonahan, son of Korea, and all the army officers who were with him, and all the people from the least of them to the greatest. And he said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, to whom you sent me to present your petition, says. If you stay in this land, I will build you up and not tear you down. I will plant you and not uproot you, for I am grieved over the disaster I have inflicted on you. Do not be afraid of the king of Babylon whom you now fear. Do not be afraid of him, declares the Lord, for I am with you and will save you and deliver you from his hands. I will show you compassion 
so that he will have compassion on you and restore you to your land. However, if you say, we will not stay in this land and so disobey the Lord your God, and if you say, no, we'll go and live in Egypt where we will not see war or hear the trumpet or be hungry for bread, then hear the word of the Lord, O remnant of Judah. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. If you are determined to go to Egypt and you go down to you go to settle there then the sword you fear will overtake you there and the famine you dread will follow you into Egypt and there you will die indeed all who are determined to go to Egypt to settle there will die by the sword famine and plague not one of them will survive or escape the disaster I will bring on them this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. As my anger and wrath have been poured out on those who have lived in Jerusalem, so will my wrath be poured out on you when you go to Egypt. You'll be an object of curse, cursing and horror, of condemnation and reproach. You will never see this place again. O remnant of Judah, the Lord has told you, do not go to Egypt. Be sure of this. I warn you today that you made a fatal mistake when you sent me to the Lord your God and said, pray to the Lord our God for us. Tell us everything he says and we will do it. I have told you today, but you still have not obeyed the Lord your God and all he sent me to tell you. So now be sure of this, you will die by the sword, famine and plague in the place where you want to go to settle. When Jeremiah finished telling the people all the words of the Lord, their God, everything that the Lord God sent him to tell them, they said, you are lying. The Lord our God has not sent you to say you must not go to Egypt to settle there. And then what do they do? They go to Egypt, the word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, last Sunday, the now married Pastor John took us to chapter 39, the first of two chapters in Jeremiah describing the fall of Jerusalem. The final chapter of this book, chapter 52, also describes the fall of Jerusalem in 587 B.C. under the Babylonian army. Now, one of the fascinating things about the story of the fall into Jerusalem is that the Babylonians, who rejected the rule of God, took his word more seriously than the people of Jerusalem, who were God's covenant people. Interesting. Even the Babylonians saw something about the God of Israel that the people of Jerusalem were not open to seeing. And certainly it once again drove home the message that the Lord was sending through Jeremiah concerning his people. Jeremiah 5, verse 21, Hear this, you foolish and senseless people who have eyes but do not see, who have ears but do not hear. Should you not fear me, declares the Lord? Should you not tremble in my presence? Well, they should. But they didn't. 
And then basically the message was, because you don't see or hear or fear or tremble in the presence of the only living God, and because you have run after other gods and ignored me, you're going to be punished, and you're going to be exiled from this promised land. Tough message. One that we and God's people like to ignore or close our eyes to. But it was a message to God's people then, and it still is a message to God's people today. And certainly Israel's hardness of heart led to the fall of Jerusalem. Well, after the fall of the city, Zedekiah, its final king, was captured. His sons were killed in his presence. It must have been a terrible thing. His eyes were put out. And he was taken away into exile and imprisoned in Babylon until the day he died. The temple in Jerusalem was ransacked and then burned. The city was destroyed. The city walls were pulled down, all in accordance of the word of the Lord as spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah himself was granted freedom, and so he lived in Judah along with the remnant of the people. Now what we are concerned with today, chapters 40 through 44, describe what happened after the fall of Jerusalem. So these chapters cover the last part of Jeremiah's life, the last part of his ministry. And this is what happened. Once the city of Jerusalem was destroyed, King Nebuchadnezzar appointed a man by the name of Gedaliah as the governor of Judah. And his task was to rule over the poor and the very powerless people who had been left behind. Turns out Gedaliah was a man of peace and a man of honor, and he was trusted by Babylon, the very nation that the Lord had called upon to inflict punishment upon Israel. And in chapter 40, verse, verse 9, we read that Gedaliah tried to reassure the people under his rule with these words, do not be afraid to serve the Babylonians. Settle down in the land, serve the king of Babylon, and it will go well with you. That's familiar language. We heard those, that language before in chapter 29, where the Lord told his people to build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce, and so forth. Gedaliah's leadership in Jerusalem even inspired some confidence in many of the Jews that had scattered but not been taken captive by the Babylonians returned to Judah. Some soldiers and some army officers who had been hiding in the surrounding countryside also returned. So things were looking up. Gedaliah was considered to be too weak and too trusting by some, however. And so he was assassinated by a man called Ishmael, one of the army officers who was supportive of the Ammonites. And Ishmael, in the killing of Gedaliah, also killed some Babylonian soldiers who were there with Gedaliah, as well as a number of other Jews. And then he took that small remnant that was left in Jerusalem 
He took them captive, and he had started to head off to the Ammonites. It's fascinating stories. Then another army officer, Johanan, heard about this, and he gathered other soldiers together, and they confronted Ishmael and his cronies who were heading for the Ammonites. Johanan then rescued the people who had survived the assassination of Gedaliah and had become, as it were, prisoners of Ishmael. And now, under the leadership of Johanan and some other army officers, and fearing reprisals on the part of the Babylonians because of the assassination of Gedaliah and some Babylonian soldiers, this now leftover ragtag group of people decided to consult the Lord through Jeremiah as to what they should do and as to where they should go. Mind you, we ought to note, and I hope you noted that when you read this particular passage, they had their mind already made up in chapter 41, verse 17, because it, told, it tells us there that they stopped near Bethlehem on their way to Egypt to escape the Babylonians. They figured in Egypt there was food, there was shelter, there was safety. That would be a safe place to go. One writer reflecting on this passage asked, don't we do this too? We make up our own minds about our lives, about our job, what we'll do, about where we'll study, about whom we'll marry, about where we're going to live, about what holidays we hope to enjoy, but we do much of that without reference to the Lord. And then when we have decided what we're going to do or where we're going to go, then we pray and we ask the Lord for confirmation of what's already been chosen. Really, it's kind of backwards. Prayer ought to come first, then we make up our minds. Anyway, they said to Jeremiah, pray that the Lord, your God, will tell us where we should go and what we should do. Chapter 42, verse 3. Interesting that the people did not see the Lord as their God. They seemed to know that Jeremiah obviously had a relationship with the Lord, but they obviously did not. That's how far they had fallen away from the Lord. In spite of the fact that the Lord, of course, had never relinquished his covenant relationship with his people. It's interesting, throughout this prophetic book, we get the picture of a parent, of the Lord telling his children over and over and over again that what he has in store for them is for their own good. But time and again, they just ignore him, and they go their own way, and they say, we know it better. We know it better. We know where to go, where to be safe, and we know what to do. And every time they pay the price again and again. It's a story I suspect that many a parent can relate to. Well, Jeremiah agreed to spend some time with the Lord and bring their request to him. Chapter 42, verse 4. I will tell you everything that the Lord says and keep nothing from you. Now, remember that the people are on their way out of Israel. They've already made up their mind. They're out of the way, out of Israel to Egypt. 
And yet they said in chapter 42, verse 5 and 6, May the Lord be a true and faithful witness against us if we do not act in accordance with everything the Lord your God tells us to do. Whether it be favorable or unfavorable, we will obey the Lord your, our God to whom you are sending, who we are sending you so that it will go well with us for we will obey the Lord our God. Kudos to them. All that sounds great. They're doing the right thing, it seems. They even switched their language. Did you notice that? From your God to our God. These people must now be on the right track. Ten days later, God's answer doesn't always come immediately. Ten days later, Jeremiah received the response from the Lord. And interesting, the response that he receives is a re repetition of the word spoken in chapter 29 and a repeat of basically what Gedaliah was doing. It was a repeat of what the Lord had said all along. Of course, the Lord's not going to change. Why would he? Chapter 42, verse 11. If you stay in this land, I will build you up and not tear you down. Do not be afraid of the king of Babylon, for I am with you and will save you and deliver you from his hands. God had not changed his tune at all. Jeremiah 29, verse 11, remember that? For I know the plans I have for you. They're not plans to annihilate, but to prosper his people. God's plan of salvation in Christ Jesus needed to be fulfilled and was being fulfilled. The Messiah was to come. The statement continued, verse 19, Do not go to Egypt. Because, verse 34, 22, you will die by the sword, famine, and plague in Egypt. So the message was clear. Stay in Babylon, as Gedaliah has assured his people, as God had told them all along, and you will prosper and be safe. Go to Egypt, and you're going to die. One writer put it this way, quote, Jeremiah knew that this was not really what they wanted to hear. This was not the message they expected. It was unpopular. It went against common sense. It did not calm their fears. But the Lord wanted them to live by his word, by his word, and not by their own assessment of the situation. He wanted them to be guided by the truth of God and not by their own political calculations or their own analysis of international events. Unquote. That's what trusting in God can be. It can be risky. Faith in the Lord may not always seem like the safe option, but such is the faith that we are called to. So what did the people do? Their response reminds me of what we read in chapter 2 when God calls the very heavens to witness what the people were doing. Chapter 2, verse 12, remember that at the very beginning of this, of this book? Be appalled at this, O heavens, shudder with great horror. In other words, get this. Get this. It's, it's incredible. It's hard to believe. It's appalling. It's stunning. But you know what's happened? My people have traded me in for worthless idols. 
Can you believe that, O heavens, who are paying attention to all this and who see this? The true God, the creator, the covenant God has been dumped for pieces of wood and stone. How can that be? My people have really lost it. And now in chapter 43, here we go again. After asking Jeremiah for the word from the Lord and after having witnessed how everything Jeremiah has said so far has come true, they did what they've been doing all along throughout the book. They say to Jeremiah, you're a liar. You're a liar. And you're simply plotting our, our destruction. You are telling us not to go to Egypt so that we can become victims of the Babylonians who are surely coming back to punish us for the assassination of Gedaliah. And so in spite of their claim, whether it be favorable or unfavorable, we will obey the Lord our God to whom we are sending you so that it will go well with us, for we will obey the Lord our God. The people said, we're going to Egypt. I couldn't care less what you said about Babylon and staying here. We are going to Egypt, and we got news for you, Jeremiah. You and Baruch are coming with us. They had eyes. They did not see. They had ears. They did not hear. The true covenant God, the Lord of heaven and earth, had no relevance, no authority, no say in their lives anymore. They were filled with the fear of the Babylonians and out to save their own skin, and so off they went to the land of Egypt, and they went as far as Tephanes. As the Lord had indicated, instead of running away from disaster, they were running right into disaster. Sound like a familiar story? A woman wants to marry a man, and there are all sorts of signals from the Lord through family or friends or others that perhaps that ought to know that not to happen. Wrong guy. Don't, don't do that. You don't know him like I do. He treats me well. He'll change. And then comes that inevitable day when disaster hits. CBC have reported that credit counseling experts say many Canadians simply don't understand how precarious their finances truly are, especially as ballooning home prices and a stable economy make people feel wealthy. Quote, as long as people are out of work every day, earning an income, it's easy to perceive that they're managing their finances, says Lori Campbell, CEO of nonprofit Credit Canada at Debt Solutions. Until the fallout from high debt levels leads to a collective economic crisis, such as a recession, says Campbell, individual Canadians will continue to ignore the risks at their own peril, of course. The city of Hamilton has issued all sorts of warnings about the dangers of getting close to the edge of the escarpment as the many waterfalls, at the many waterfalls in this city. And yet already this year, local fire crews answered 25 rope rescues at the city's waterfalls, the largest number in at least seven years. People simply ignoring the danger signs for that all important selfie, I suppose. 
quote, more than 230,000 people were killed and 500,000 people were injured and 1.7 million were left homeless on December 26, 2004 after a 9.2 magnitude earthquake caused a tsunami that affected 14 countries in Asia and Eastern and Southern Africa. The incident remains one of the deadliest natural disasters in recorded human history. The death toll could have been less had warnings been heeded. Seven years before the earthquake and subsequent tsunami, a top government official in Thailand warned that the country would soon be hit by a tsunami. His calls were ignored and he was termed crazy. He was banned from entering some parts of Thailand where he was considered a threat to tourism. Sounds like Jeremiah. The Pacific Ocean Tsunami Warning System also called the embassies and government officials of several Asian countries after the earthquake and warned that they were at risk of a possible tsunami. Many countries ignored the warning, and even those that listened didn't take any tangible action. Many countries ignored the threat when it hit their outlying coast and even refused to warn people living in the inline, in, inlying coasts. In Indonesia, the sea receded several hundred meters after the earthquake, a clear warning of an incoming tsunami, but many didn't know this. Some even ran into the retreated ocean to catch stranded fish, while others simply looked on and wondered what was happening. It's fake news. Much more importantly than all those warnings examples, and there can be many stories, much more importantly, salvation is found in no one else but Jesus. For there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. The call of the gospel is clear. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Oh, don't ignore the call. It's not fake news. The remnant, contrary to the word of the Lord, went to Egypt only to pay the price. In Egypt, Jeremiah received the word of the Lord and was told to take some very large stones and bury them in the brick pavement of Pharaoh's temple in the place they had arrived. And he was to bury them in the presence of the Jews. And that would have been interpreted by the people of the day as a prophetic symbol, an action that spoke of fulfillment. The day was coming when the word of the Lord would be fulfilled concerning the remnant that went to Egypt, and it would be fulfilled concerning Egypt, namely that the Babylonians would wreak havoc there as well and set up their kingdom. If the Jews figured they were heading to Egypt to escape the Babylonian wrath, they had another thing coming. No one escapes the wrath of the Lord. Babylon was heading down to destroy Egypt and set up their kingdom there, and the Jews who were fleeing for their lives would not be spared. And if you were to go and read further into chapter 44 of the book of Jeremiah, you would see that indeed this meant the end for this part of God's people. The people who went to Egypt to be safe died in that land as the Lord had told them. Not one of them returned 
to Israel. And yet the plan of salvation didn't die. For the remnant of God's people that were taken into Babylon would be the remnant that would return to the promised land and rebuild the nation. And from that remnant, the Messiah was to come. From that remnant, Jesus would be born and he would give his life for all those who belong to the Lord. That's exactly what we celebrate in Lord's Supper. You know, we serve a God who does not speak idly. We serve a God who is just and righteous and true to his word. And as we've been hearing all throughout this book of Jeremiah, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of such a God. And yet, thanks be to God, for he is a God of hope. And he has and always has been faithful to his covenant promises. And he sent us his son to pay the price for the vilest offender who truly believes. That's what we celebrate at Lord's Supper. That's what we celebrate as God's people. To him be the glory. Amen. Father in heaven, we have heard your word once again from Jeremiah. Oh, what a word. How can the people in Jeremiah's day be so cold to their God, the only true God? We wonder about that. Of course, we know the whole story. We know the end of the story. And we know that the hope that Jeremiah brought in spite of the judgment that was there, the hope that he brought has been fulfilled in the person of Christ Jesus. Oh Lord, make us responsive to your word. Help us to heed its warnings. Help us to live in a way that brings glory and honor to your name. Thank you for your word. To you be the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.